now. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Uh, so we're talking about a couple different things. Obviously, the U.S. Senate candidates debate uh, was held last night. Uh, it was on Spectrum News Channel. I don't get Spectrum, and so I can't watch their video. It may be up and available by now, um, but I could not watch the debate last night. So I was looking at the coverage of it, and I kind of veered off into the Madison Cawthorn story as well. Uh, so let me return to the coverage of the Senate debate. And as it was reported by WRAL's Brian Anderson, with whom today I had a bit of a back and forth on the Twitter machine. Um, here's his story. <clears throat> Three of North Carolina's top Republican Senate candidates outlined what they would do to tackle student debt and how they believe racism should be taught in K-12 schools during an hour-long debate Wednesday. They also weighed in on the 2020 election, influence of outside spending in the race, and whether they would support the party's nominee. You got former Governor Pat McCrory, former U.S. Representative Mark Walker, Army Combat Veteran Marjorie Eastman, and uh, Ted Budd did not show. The frontrunner in the primary race, U.S. Representative Ted Budd, who has been avoiding debates in this race, was a no-show again. It was his third such absence. Jonathan Feltz, a Bud advisor, said the congressman attended events in Montgomery, Richmond, Scotland, and Hoke counties on Wednesday rather than attend the debate, which this is what the the campaign is doing. The Bud campaign is always scheduling these visits on nights of the debate. And so this is their response. So every time someone says, hey, why aren't you at the debate? He says, I'm meeting with the real people, the voters, instead of being on a stage, you know, talking to my opponents and media, which, of course, like directly, that is true. Like you are, in fact, meeting with your supporters out in the streets in these, you know, venues. And if you were back at the TV studio, you would be talking with your opponents and media. That is true. But that's a conduit to talk to other voters, right? And again, Ted Budd is leading, and so the strategy is don't do any debates because there's no upside for you. Or I shouldn't say no upside. There are obviously some upsides. If like for here's the here's the problem I'm, I'm running into. It doesn't strike me as a decision made from a position of strength. In other words, yes, I know he's leading in the polls, but I suspect he's not a good debater. I don't know that. But I suspect it because why else would you avoid debates if you're good at it? Couldn't you like just blow away the field? But maybe you're not good at it. And that's why I want to see him appear at least in one of them where he gets challenged and you got the lights on and somebody is criticizing you and. You know, you say something, they say something, and yes, all of that stuff, the theatrics, the performance, it matters. And if you're not good at it, I'd like to know now. I would. I would like to know now. Because, again, unless they say we're not going to have any debates with Sherry Beasley. And by the way, Sherry Beasley has a whole bunch of candidates running against her, too. There is a primary on the Democrat side. But for some reason, the media doesn't really care so much about making sure she has a debate. She's just like the front runner, and so... She gets to coast. There's like no traction at all on the left in the Democrat Party and the media, but I repeat myself, 
to get her to agree to do any debates with the like 10 other candidates that are running against her on the Democrat side. So, yes, I I point out the double standard. Absolutely. But for me and look, I will probably I'm leaning towards probably voting in the Republican primary. So I would like to know, is this guy prepared to go up against Cherry Beasley? But then again, if she's not debating, maybe neither one of them want to debate. Maybe that's it. They're just, they'll just like turn the super PACs loose and they'll both just hide out. They'll do tightly managed events where they don't get any hecklers or, uh, or challenges or anything like that. Maybe. I don't know. And maybe that's the successful model that everybody will emulate going forward. Right? If winning is all that matters, then who cares? And you know there are a ton of people that they're going to vote and it's not going to matter if Ted Budd didn't show up at a debate. Right? They're going to vote for the Republican candidate no matter who it is. And then there are people who, you know, may not vote for McQuarrie because he's a rhino, right? <laughs> and they, they would be willing to vote for Walker, but not not McQuarrie, right? Um, but for me, I need to know if the guy is going to be okay on that debate stage with Beasley. And when you avoid doing any debates at all in the primary, it telegraphs to me insecurity about the ability to perform. That's what it sends. That's the message that I get. And again, that that could be fair. And that could be unfair, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm receiving. Um, all right. So first up in Brian Anderson's report here on uh, WRAL.com, uh, he says the former governor pushed back on ads he considers misleading. Well, it's not that he considers them to be misleading. The club for growth ads were misleading. I believe you guys did a fact check on it and determined that they are misleading. So it's not that he considers them misleading. It's that they are misleading. And I bring this up, and I know you're like maybe saying, Pete, why are you nitpicking on this? Because this is important. Because whenever they talk about the election uh, claims of fraud, what do they always say? What do the reporters always toss in there? Right? Debunked. PolitiFact says this not true. Uh, this uh, accusation's not true. Right? They always throw in this stamp of credibility. Right? This like seal of approval, this we checked it or uh, this, you know, uh, this authoritative voice that says this is capital T, the truth. And they use it to a but or to this. Yeah, they use it usually in a preface to the sentence, but they use it to rebut the the prime quote that they're uh, that they're citing. And. That's what he just did to McCrory on ads that he considers misleading, but you didn't give him the PolitiFact scores and the fact-checking scores that found those ads were, in fact, misleading. Why don't you? So including one ad that was released Wednesday by a Washington, D.C. political action committee that claimed he supported Democrats on the state's textbook commission while he was in office from 2012 to 2016. Have you seen this ad yet? Yeah, funny thing, though, state law, he says... State law dictates that the members be appointed by the governor upon recommendation of the state superintendent of public instruction. And while McQuarrie was governor, the superintendent of public instruction was June Atkinson, a Democrat. So the Club for Growth is obviously misleading people. It's not that McCrory 
says or feels or considers it to be misleading, it is misleading. Right? Because he didn't have any authority to reject the nominations, to reject the recommendations. Um, He said uh, that the Club for Growth is lying about my record on CRT, critical race theory, which then Brian Anderson helpfully describes for all of the readers and viewers that don't know what CRT is. We'll take a look at how he defines it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT-704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, going over the coverage of the Senate debate between three of the four top candidates on the Republican side, uh, Walker, McCrory, and Eastman. And uh, Ted Budd did not show again. So the uh, former governor pushing back on the ads that Club for Growth has been dumping on him to the tune of, what, like $10 million worth or something. They've just been pounding him. And the latest one was accusing him of uh, making appointments um, to the textbook committee or something. And CRT uh, the, the uh, books were, or the CRT was in the books. And so that was McCory's fault. Well, McCory said, though, that they're lying. And the high-level, ac- oh, sorry, this is, WRAL's description is they're lying about my record on CRT, a reference to critical race theory, a high level academic framework for thinking about America's history through the lens of racism. The term has become somewhat of a catch all phrase to describe racial concepts. Some conservatives find objectionable. Okay, Brian Anderson is the author of said sentence. So let's break this apart. A high-level academic framework. So what is that? High-level academic framework. I guess he didn't want to say what everybody else always says, which is it's taught at Harvard Law. This is just a, a legal theory. This is just a, you know, in like the, the upper levels of college. So now it's a high-level academic framework. Framework. It's an interesting word, a framework, right? Because it's embedded in everything. And this was the purpose. Critical race theory comes via critical legal studies out of Harvard with uh, Derek Bell and uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, who developed the intersectionality uh, component, which then spread all of the CRT stuff. So what they do is they say, well, the CRT, the critical race theory, you know, these were the crits. These were the the legal uh, professors, law professors at Harvard that came up with this idea and everybody, you know, would kind of roll their eyes or whatever. And that is true, but that is not what it is solely any longer. And so people who play, this is the Mott and Bailey tactic, and that's what Brian Anderson is engaged in here. Whether he knows it or not, Mott and Bailey approach to debate, which is you make, so, and it comes from uh, the the low-lying areas, uh, and I forget which is which, I think that's the Mott, and then the Bailey is, or maybe it's vice versa. Yeah, I think it's, that doesn't matter. We're going to say Mott is the, uh, is the low-lying ground, it's the open space, think in terms of castles, that's where this comes from. 
And so the low-lying areas usually have your farmland, and it's a, it's it's harder to defend out there, right? But th- that's where a lot of the activity occurs. Then, if you're getting attacked, you retreat up to the tower, up to the the fortified area. And so in debate, this is sort of the same thing. You make the initial assertions that are not easily defensible, right? Like, all white people are racist, right? You make an allegation like that. You make an assertion. You get challenged on it. And then what do you do? You retreat to the easily defensible position, which is we need to teach about our real history. And that includes racism and Jim Crow and awful abuses. And most everybody agrees, yes, we should teach history. See? So it's easily defensible. Which then, what do your opponents do? Well, okay, well, I'll I'll see you later. We agree. And then you walk away. And then what? Well, then you run back down onto the mott and you say, all white people are racist. See, and that's, so they're constantly going back and forth. And by arguing the thing from the fortified position that most people agree with, it is a form of gaslighting, psychological abuse. That's what's occurring. And that's why when you are arguing with people, you get that sense that there is something going on here that you feel, you know, you feel the abuse. They are taking advantage of you because you're approaching it in good faith and they are not. So when he says this academic framework for thinking about America's history through the lens of racism, that is also misleading because that's not only what you're doing. You're teaching everything through a prism of historical racism. It's not that you're only teaching about America's history through the lens of racism. You're teaching everything through the lens of historical racism. Does that make sense? Everything washes through that prism, through that lens. That's how they want you to view everything, not just history, everything. That's why it's so much more now. It has become so much more. The term has become, he says, somewhat of a catch-all phrase to describe racial concepts. It's become a catch-all phrase because that's the wellspring. This is where it comes from. It is a direct descendant of Antonio Gramsci and neo-Marxism, a direct line drawn by the people who conjured up these philosophies. That's not me making that up. That's not me and making connections like, uh, what's his face in the built with the bulletin board, all the strings attached in the tinfoil hat. That's not me making these connections. It's the people who created these ideas and their long march through the institutions. That's a direct quote. Neo-Marxism, that's Gramsci, Italian communist, who said Marx was right, but not in the way to go about it, which was, he said, you got to take control of the cultural institutions, like, for example, the arts and education and media. How do you think they're doing so far? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. until 8 o'clock p.m. for a full hour and a half, commercial-free, right here on WBT, the three Democratic candidates for Mecklenburg County Sheriff are going to debate live 
Uh, we got Sheriff Gary McFadden, Gina Hicks, Marquise Robinson, and uh, there is no GOP uh, primary for sheriff. Uh, I don't even know. I I meant to check this yesterday. I don't even think there's a candidate. for. Is there a candidate running for Republican sheriff? I, I, I doubt he would win. Maybe that's why there isn't one. But, um, yeah, so the forum is actually hosted by the Fraternal Order of Police. And Brett Jensen from WBT is going to moderate the debate. Again, that's Tuesday, 630 until 8 o'clock, commercial free, right here on WBT. All right, so... I'm reading through this story about the North Carolina U.S. Senate debate that occurred last night and three of the four candidates there. And they are asked about critical race theory and the way the the coverage of this topic is handled is very instructive as to why uh, as, as to why parents are getting agitated and why you saw people, uh, you know, flock to Youngkin's campaign why this topic matters, because what the media does in carrying the water for the left wing position on this, either due to incompetence or ignorance or allyship, I don't know. Uh, But people know that they're being told something that is not true because they have themselves seen these things. This gets into the whole, and I'll cover this uh, tomorrow. I did a whole bunch of prep on it, but it's. I, I want to go deeper into it. So the whole libs of TikTok fight, people see those videos because all the videos are is just curated content. It's just, hey, some lefty put uh, put a video up on TikTok of them, you know, talking about how, yes, they are going to talk to your child about sex when that child is four years old, five years old. And they're going to teach that child about pronouns and gender and sexual orientation, all of these things that you don't want your five-year-old to be taught by some stranger, right? Among other things, it's not just that topic. It's just any kind of video from a lefty they find, they throw them up. Okay. So now you get people that come in and, you know, trying to protect the narrative, you know, must protect the precious. And uh, they say, well, you're not actually seeing these things. And this is the problem is that parents have seen these things. People in the workplace have gone through these trainings. They hear what's being said. They they know what the curriculum looks like. Right. So when you get the guy, Brian Anderson, over at WRAL, who says that critical race theory, uh, he calls it a high level academic framework for thinking about America's history through the lens of racism. Let me let, let me give you the actual definition. Okay. And this comes from the guy who literally wrote the book on it. This is from the introduction to the textbook, Critical Race Theory, an introduction. Okay, so I'm pretty confident in the source. Here it is. The Critical Race Theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. I wonder why Brian didn't write that. The movement considers many of the same issues that conventional civil rights and ethnic studies discourses take up, but places them in a broader perspective that includes economics, history, setting, group, and self-interest. Oh, let me, I'll read that. It's a poor, right. History, economics, setting, group, and self-interest 
So group interest, self-interest, and emotions, and the unconscious. That's the broader perspective that they're talking about. So, no, Brian Anderson from WRAL, uh, no, it's not just about America's history through a uh, lens of racism. No, it's all that other stuff, too. It's your subconscious, the unconscious mind. From the book, it continues. Unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step progress, critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. Again, that's a little bit more expansive than just teaching history uh, you know, about racism through a lens of racism. And then he says the term has become somewhat of a catch-all phrase to describe racial concepts some conservatives find objectionable. Uh, Brian, liberals find some of this stuff objectionable as well. John McWhorter is hardly a raging right-winger. He's an Obama fan. He was a, he, he's a liberal. And he has been one of the most vocal opponents of this garbage than anyone. And, and he has the position to do it. Bill Maher, liberal, also an opponent of this kind of garbage. Yes, you should teach about history in America and how it was replete with racism and all of that. Absolutely. Critical race theory, though, is a bit more than that. And frankly, I don't think you are in a position to be informing people of what is true if this is what you conjured up. Now, he did rely on um, an old AP article that he wrote when he worked for the AP. He was part of like the, was like the, pre- uh, the reporter corps or something like that where they you know, put young kids into pos- – anyway, it doesn't matter. He's now at WRAL. And uh, I'm going to pull this up because I wrote to him. I saw – the article, I read through the article, and it moved me so that I had to write him on the Twitter machine, which this is, to me, the real value of Twitter, not to take it into the Elon Musk and takeover of Twitter topic, but this is the importance of the platform. This is the value to me that I get to interact with people until they block me. I get to interact with people and challenge assertions or Uh, conventional wisdom that they think they are imparting, right? And that goes for media people, goes for elected officials, experts, right? I'm able to have conversations with anybody as long as they are willing to voluntarily engage in a conversation with me as well, which that has always kept me sort of on a path of trying to be polite to people. And you know me, I'm a polite guy, you know? So, I wrote to him and I said, the article's CRT description is misleading. So I gave him an escape right there. I gave him an escape hatch that if he wanted to jump through it, he could have, which was to say that he didn't write that part of it or whatever. But I said, the article's CRT description is misleading. Even Ibram X. Kendi cites Kimberly Crenshaw as inspiration for his theories. So Kendi is in schools and CRT was Crenshaw, intersectionality, So Kendi called her and CRT foundational to my work. So that's hardly a distancing. 
He's saying he could not have done his work had it not been for CRT because that's foundational to his work. And if his stuff's in schools, what does that tell you? All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Going over this coverage by Brian Anderson at WRAL. And uh, he may very well block me now on Twitter after this. Uh, but uh, I, And I do appreciate the fact that he actually responded because I, look, I'm, what I offered up was a criticism of what he wrote. That's what I've been doing in this entire hour as well, right? The article CRT description was misleading. And then I pointed out briefly that Ibram X. Kendi cites Kimberly Crenshaw as inspirational for his theories and called critical race theory foundational to my work. I said, I urge WREL to draft a more accurate boilerplate description. So again, I gave him an exit ramp here to say that, oh, well, you know, that was the boilerplate description that just we lifted from previous stories and I, you know, got added into this story because that happens all the time. Talked earlier about how that process occurs. He then takes my tweet and quote tweets it, which rather than just respond, because I replied to him, but he took my tweet and quote tweeted it. So that means he's now pushing this out to all of his followers so they can see what my criticism was. I'm like, okay, that's that's fine by me. I do not mind at all having that kind of amplification. If somebody wants to do that, that's up to them. So he says, have written extensively on this subject, even those who condemn or seek to ban critical race theory in schools often struggle to define what it is. A good explainer on what the theory is and is not is here. And then he gives me a link to his own piece that he wrote at the Associated Press. He calls his own piece a good explainer. And so now I recognize, okay, um, he's patting me on the head and saying, I don't know uh, what I'm talking about. That's what he's doing to me. He's gaslighting me. As occurs all the time in this debate by people who don't know what critical race theory is, but try to tell you you don't either, when you actually do. That's the thing that ticks me off. Don't pee on my boots and tell me it's raining. That's the you you want to get me angry at you? That's the way to do it. Because I don't I'm not I don't get really angry. I get frustrated, I get disappointed, that sort of thing. But I'm a pretty patient guy. And you know me. I'm a nice guy, right? Right? I'm a <laughs> Yeah. So he says this to me that I have written extensively on this subject. Even those who condemn or seek to ban critical race theory in schools often struggle to define what it is. So I responded, and this time I quote tweeted him just to, you know, turnabouts, fair play. And I said, I would submit that the description you provided is an example of such a struggle. See, because he's saying, oh, people who are opposed to it struggle to define what it is. Dude, I read your AP piece. I actually eviscerated that stupid piece of garbage when you wrote it. I ripped it apart back then. I said, I'm a, I am very aware of what CRT is and its incorporation into K-12 pedagogy and instruction, which is why I found your boilerplate description misleading, just like I did when you wrote that AP piece. You writing more words 
in the same ignorant fashion does not make an explainer correct. Okay? You got to go to the source material, my friend. You got to get to the philosophy of the stuff. And you didn't do that in your AP explainer and you didn't do it in your WRAL piece. Now, I know you had limited space because you were covering the Senate debate. I understand that. You were doing that through this lens. But you did spend um, one, two, three, four, five paragraphs on the matter. I thought you could have squeezed it in someplace. And when you did mention what you thought it was, I don't know, you could have gone to an original source work and you could have made mention the fact that the pushback against CRT is coming from across the political spectrum. It's not just conservatives. That's what he described it as. He frames it as that. See, so this is pitting the people against one another. Because now it's like, oh, well, I'm a I'm a good Democrat. I Oh, what, oh conservatives don't like that? Well, then I, I, I obviously am for it. And what's the talking point? You just want to teach about history? Oh, well, then you just want to teach about history. Like, that's what that's what this kind of coverage engenders. In a briefing with reporters after the debate, former Congressman Mark Walker said that his high school daughter, a sophomore, had an instructor who he says tried to make the case that because the student came from a white and privileged background, that she should take a backseat to someone of lesser means. Quote, can I tie that directly, that that's part of CRT curriculum that's being taught in our college and master's levels? No, but it's the overall idea that it is against what Martin Luther King Jr. pushed, that we should not be judged on the color of our skin, but on the content of our character. Okay, so I know what Walker's saying here, right? Because he's talking about, it's an academic framework. Yeah, it's only at the law schools. That's the argument he's trying to counter. He says, is that directly part of that curriculum at the college level? No. I'm, he says, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not tying that directly to it. But it's the overall idea. But the way that Brian Anderson, the reporter here, uses that quote, it's meant to, it's meant to signify the struggle that Walker is having uh, trying to define what it is. He then quotes Eastman, a Carrie, mother uh, of a young child in school, could not identify a specific example of CRT being taught inside a classroom, but said parents deserve to have a voice in how their children are being taught. Now, Brian doesn't offer us any examples of CRT being taught in classrooms either. Is that because there are no examples? Well, that's not true. There are tons of examples. Hell, you just had Ibram X. Kenny give a $20,000 speech Q&A to all of the management and principals and leadership at Charlotte Mecklenburg schools about how to be anti-racist. They read a book of his for a year. Oh, I'm sure that doesn't make its way into, uh, what is it, the, um, uh, not just the history, right, but the economics, history, setting, group and self-interest, emotions, and the unconscious. Right? I'm sure that this in no way affects the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment, rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. Completely irrelevant, right? Just all the people setting the policy and course for the school district, all just learning this stuff. It's not in the schools. Winterbull's up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 